If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. You know, people say, well, you just weld. Well, there's a whole science. It's not that easy to get two pieces of metal to stick together. The computer's in the flow, you're sitting outside, and you're making the adjustment, and you're watching the pieces move. You can do really cute things that cause the judges to stand there with their mouths open. Floats sometimes fight the builders. Floats have personalities. What's the science, as well as the technology, engineering, and math behind the art of creating an award-winning Rose Parade float? Pam Wiedenbeck could give you the answer to that question. Every year, six non-commercial float builders known as self-builts put in their creations, and more often than not, they win awards. Pam is the Vice President of Float Development for La Cunada Flint Ridge Tournament of Roses. Pam. Before we get to talking about La Cunada Flint Ridge Tournament of Roses and an extremely fun award-winning float from New Year's Day of this year, I'd like to know which first captured your imagination, science, art, or technology? Because you have a background in all three. Let's put it this way. I started as a float liaison for tournament that is just... La Cunada was my first float to take down the parade route, and I took it down twice, one in the pouring rain and one in a beautiful 80-degree day. And you have to realize that in what I do professionally, I'm behind a desk all the time. So what really fascinated me when I, you know, just poked my nose in and started volunteering was that it was an opportunity to get hands-on. And it was also an opportunity to channel my father because my father was a commercial artist. And so I have a philosophy. Learn as much as you can. And then if you decide not to go on, it's okay. Well, I got hooked. You talk about COVID-19 being a virus and highly contagious. Working on a float is a virus, and it's highly contagious, and there is no vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) So that, and eventually getting into the technology, but I think what really attracted me first was the artistic side of the float, because I haven't had much of a chance to use my art. My father's comment was, don't you dare apply to art and architecture school because you can't make a living back when I was going to college. (laughs) You're going to get a degree that you can make a living in. Well, what he didn't understand is you can't make a living in science either, but that's. I didn't know that. I had no idea. (laughs) But at the time my father was in the arts. Women were barred from most commercial activities because of the union control. And so I couldn't even do a summer job unless I wanted to be a secretary at dad's company. I couldn't work on the floor with the carpenters and the sign writers and learning all that stuff because I couldn't get a union card. And even as a part-time worker, you needed a union card. 
wow, the bad old day is here. Ugh. <laughs> I'm so and, glad things have changed. Yeah, but I think if I look a little bit at the history of the Artists and Decorators Union, they still resist. And it's been a, like in most union trades, carpenters, electricians, plumbers, teamsters, you name it, there hasn't been an overwhelming endorsement of women, even though they have to take them now. They don't necessarily have to like it. I see that in XR even, where women are grossly underrepresented even now. Mm-hmm. Immersive technology, let us hope yeah. and pray that things change. It's the ultimate meshing of science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And what might be kind of fun is to have you tell me a little bit about each one of these aspects. You've got this science background, physics, my goodness, and planetary science. How do you apply physics to creating a rose parade float without speaking too much science? Because a lot of us are arts people here. Well, you know, I think what people miss the fact that science covers a whole lot of ground. So science is just not physics. It's the electronics of how do you hook up the intercoms in the float? Well, some people would say that's engineering, making sure you can do the cable runs and you can do that comes into a lot of science as well. Your science comes in, we have a hydraulic engineer who works with us. Well, that's engineering. Hydraulics is a whole another branch of physics and how it works. So the engineering and science are meshed in how they work. I was primarily attracted by the art until I found out how much science was in. You know, people say, well, you just weld. Well, there's a whole science to how to weld and make metal stick together. It's not that easy to get two pieces of metal to stick together. And so I think with the two technologies, I think in a float, engineering and technology are meshed. Engineering, technology, science are meshed in that you lose a little bit of this and you lose a little bit of that. And you look at Cal Poly, who gives engineering school credit to the core team that builds the floats, both at Pomona and Slow. So Cal Poly recognizes the educational benefit of everything that underlies that soft, fluffy look that you see on the parade route. I'm wondering about the science of welding here. If we're going to weld two pieces of metal together, what do we have to keep in mind so that thing doesn't go at Orange Grove in Colorado? Well, you know, I didn't know this. It took me the better part of two Saturdays to create my test piece before I was passed as a, and I still have my test piece, but it's a matter of, and I'm an arc welder, and I haven't tried all the new modern welding techniques because I still like the arc weld. But you have to get the metal to the right temperature. You have to get the flux that's going to melt this little stick of metal and 
chemicals that you have on the two pieces. You have to have them clamped tightly together so that you can precisely melt the two pieces together so they become one. And if you mess up, you can get as far as screening the item that you built before you find out that you've got cold welds all the way through it and you've got to stop and you've got to go back and, and spot weld all the things you missed. Cold and welds? What are cold, cold welds? welds? Cold welds are where you look like you've got the metal joining, but the actual join is just a hairline thread. That must be a headache. It is because sometimes you don't see them until you go, oh, oh sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as much as you try to go over your piece and make sure that you've caught all the cold welds, if you're making something large like the seven foot long dog I built, you get tired. <laughs> Move the clamps, put the two pieces together. And it may not be until you're trying to put on another piece that has to hold on the previous structure that you find out you've got a piece that isn't strong enough and you got to go back and fix it before you can go forward. Wow. And of course, technology. I've noticed that LCFTRA has won several awards for animation. What kind of technology are we talking about in addition to the engineering <laughs> science we just discussed on our float the animation is almost all hydraulic so it's a set of hydraulic connections that move things we do use spinners motors that spin things some of the more fascinating things that have caught judges eyes is we had a pair of dinosaur eggs on one float and we managed to get the tolerance down to an eighth of an inch so the judges stood there and waited for the eggs to crash together. That's how close the tolerance was. But I think the one different thing with La Cunata is we use a theatrical motion system. You know, the kind of things that animate effects on stages and everything like that. So we drive the most complicated animations by a computer program that programs the hydraulics. And the programming of that system is an art and a science all of its own because you have to sit there outside, the computer's in the float, you're sitting outside, and you're making the adjustment and you're watching the pieces move. So the art of that is being able to watch the pieces and decide when the motion is correct. That would be almost a scary responsibility. It is. But then you can do really cute things, things that cause the judges to stand there with their mouths open, like on Rainforest Fiesta. We had a gecko playing a xylophone on the front of the float, and we synced the animation to the music. So when the xylophone came out, the gecko was playing in sync with the music. The most extreme example of that was Cactus Practice, which was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But the cacti, these big swear cacti were singing cool, clear water. And the animator adjusted the moving mouth of the cactuses to the song. 
So it actually looked like they were singing the song. What little bit of computer animation I've ever done, I know that's not easy. No, and you talk about having a song in your head. I don't mm-hmm. think the animator that year has ever forgotten Cool Clear Water. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I talked about that because I was listening to your videos just before we got on here <laughs> recording. And now I've got the song stuck in my head about this is going to be the best day of my life from secondhand shenanigans. Yeah, yep, yep. And believe me, that was chosen rather late. We didn't have music. Sometimes the music comes to you right away. And you know from day one what it sort of has to be, just like with just like the skateboarding dogs, there was no argument that it had to be sidewalk surfing. And you know, so so you take a look at it, sometimes getting the music is one of the hardest parts because you're trying to tell a piece of the story with the music as another element to the whole presentation. It's interesting to think of it as all the piece and storytelling, which is art, but what are some of the other art considerations? We have this float that's going to weigh tons, and if I have, <laughs> it has to move two miles an hour for 5.5 miles, but now it has to look terrific. What do we have to think? It has to look terrific, and the strangest things you ever see when you're at Float Fest and for your more mature listeners, that's post-parade. One of the things La Cunata does is we usually open the doors so that people can gawk at what they can see inside. And the biggest surprise to people is that the float is mostly steel. So by the time we finish the steel, the infrastructure for decorating, we will have gone to about an 18,000-pound chassis to close to a 30,000-pound chassis just with the steel and then we'll add anywhere from three to five thousand pounds more in floral materials you think as flowers as fluffy but each flower has a weight in dry weather you can guess pretty closely what that weight is going to be but if you have pouring rain you add Besides that three to 5,000 pounds of decorating material, you can add another 1,000 to 2,000 pounds in water that the float absorbs. So you have to think about it. We like to say we're about 30,000 pounds, and then we waffle back and forth between 30 and 35,000 pounds. But the difference between 30 and 35,000 pounds is the difference in, in the simplest tow truck you can tow with to the next level of tow truck, which tournament wants to know what tow truck they have to get to you if they have to tow you. Wow, which heaven forbid, this is not something you ever want to have happen. Well, you certainly don't want to have it happen on TV Corner. Has <laughs> it ever? Not for us. There have been some highly visible toes on TV Corner. <laughs> 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 art here, especially with the pandemic, flowers are way more expensive. And I always wonder how in the world do you get every inch of this float covered with organic materials in time to get that driving to the parade route? How do you do well, that? Well, starting on the morning of December 26th through what, about two hours before second judging time, we put about 
1,200 decorators through the decorating process with shifts as big as 90 people, as small as 30 or 40. And we run, normally we run three shifts. But if we get behind or weather gives us a problem, we will run a fourth shift that goes to 2 a.m. Between midnight and 2 a.m., the construction folks come in and either fix stuff that got broken during the previous decorating, add, put more characters up because La Cunata is kind of different in the fact we build mostly off the float. And then we put the characters are all decorated off the float and then they're forklifted into place and hooked up to the animation engine. But that happens. That's a special construction crew that works from about 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And if we're on schedule, on time, they don't have to work. But so it will be each of those volunteers will put in three to five to six hours on a shift. And that's what happens in five days. It's like a miracle to see that happen and come together. And yet there's a plan. What goes on first? What goes on second? What goes on third? What goes on fourth? What goes on fifth? Your actual live flowers don't even show up on site until the 27th or 28th, depending on how fragile they are. And then your flower vendor plans its deliveries based on the what you ordered. Sometimes the flowers arrive and they're not open. And then there's these bucket brigades of people trying to cart buckets of flowers out into the sun to try to encourage them to open and pouring hot water in the buckets to say to the flowers, come on, let's get a move on it here. (laughs) I never knew that either. Wow. What about the math of this? We've just covered all the other aspects of STEAM, but how does math come into the equation? Well, you need to know how much to order as far as flowers go. Every one of the self-built, and I'm sure the commercials have this too, is they know if you're using rice powder, so many pounds of rice covers this many square feet. So many vile roses covers this many square feet. So many of this covers that. So your dry materials versus your wet materials. And then your roses come in not really open because you're counting on putting them in the vials and letting nature open them. So occasionally you'll see a float where it looks like it's not all covered. Well, that might be because the flowers didn't open. So most floats have a blanket of stuff that sits on the pod, which is either Christmas trees or or moss or, or something else, so that technically every inch of the float is covered. But the pandemic... First of all, pandemic volunteers for almost everybody were down 30%. Even the big not-for-profits that supply thousands of decorators, 
people weren't going to spend that much time in close proximity to their closest friends. We were lucky. We had a constant dropout walk-up that kept us roughly in sync. And also, we have the other advantages. We were all outside. So people, even if they had to have their masks on in various, they didn't feel as confined because they were outside. They could get away from people if they wanted to. So I think we were in good shape for the pandemic as opposed to other people. But all of us have the how many gallons of paint cover what kind of surface. You know, if you look at a gallon of wall paint, it says it covers 400 square feet. Well, that's on treated drywall. If you have a rough foam on your float, you'll get 100 square feet out of a gallon because you got to get down into all the nooks and crannies with the paint. If you have plywood, you may be close to that 400 square feet. So you have to look at the surface to know how many gallons of paint to buy, of what colors. And that's the other thing between art and everything else going on is there's a dictionary, a pictorial dictionary which says these color flowers can go on this color paint. Because ideally, if something's not covered, you don't want people to be able to notice it. So that's why floats are paint by numbers. But you can mess up. So Home Depot likes you because you come (laughs) running in at two in the morning and asking for a gallon of paint. (laughs) I'm envisioning a last minute Home Depot run happening. That probably does not happen that often, given how specific oh, it, it happens for various things more than you can imagine. We were getting ready for T2 with the skateboarding dogs. And the guy who was supposed to bring the fire extinguishers back, the certified fire extinguishers back from T2, got the date wrong. So we had to send somebody to Home Depot to get nine fire extinguishers so that we could pass T2. So he was there at 7 a.m. in the morning buying fire extinguishers so that we could do a 9 a.m. T2. So a lot of it, and people say, well, what about the project management? Project management is all by milestone. You meet your milestone, your gold. So if you can do an MI by the middle of June, if you can do a T1 by the middle of September, and if you can do your T2 by by the first week in December, you're gold, usually. But as an outside builder, we're weather constrained. You know, 113 degrees in the summer means we don't work. And we had an incredibly hot summer. We've had two or three incredibly hot summers, which slow things down. And years ago, on one float, it started raining on December 1st. It didn't stop raining until December 29th. And so we escaped under the bridge as soon as we could. But we were building outside. Okay, is it safe enough to weld? Is the rain going to hold up? But we spent more time under the bridge that year because it just didn't quit raining. 
it just poured. And there was a beautiful parade day, but it poured right up to the parade. And then you can have beautiful weather right up to the parade, and you can have it pour on parade day. This is outdoor performance art. <laughs> In fact, I've heard officials at the Tournament of Roses not even want to say the R word because they're afraid they'll jinx themselves. Yeah, and there are various artifacts that pass from president to president toward offering. So <laughs> internal jokes. But the main thing is, if you're a tournament president, never have a Supreme Court justice as your grand marshal. The two biggest rainstorms that have ever occurred on January 1st occurred with Supreme Court justices. Oh, I never knew this. Duly noted, should anybody here ever become president of Tournament of Roses? And that was about 50 years apart. Signature question for my podcast, Pam. If I only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you and what you're doing with La Cunada Flint Ridge Tournament of Roses Association? Find your passion. And your passion may not be what you think it is. But the thing I had the most trouble with when I was a general manager with people working for me was people getting so much focused on their day jobs that they forgot to go find something that was different from their day jobs, something that they were passionate and committed about. That's generally where you find your second and third careers, is what you're passionate about and what you have fun doing. Pam, thank you for your time today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. You and I have been listening to Pam Wiedenbeck, Vice President of Float Development at nonprofit La Cunada Flint Ridge Tournament of Roses Association. LCFTRA has been participating in the Rose Parade since 1978. And if you're in the Southern California area, as Pam mentioned, they'd like to invite you to come down and see if you catch the float building bug. Find out more about volunteering at lcftra.org. Or if you happen to be in a different area of Southern California, the other non-commercial float builders, self-builts, which recruit volunteers, are South Pasadena Tournament of Roses, Sierra Madre Rose Float Association, Burbank Tournament of Roses Association, and Downey Rose Float Association. Also, if you would like to be a volunteer for the Tournament of Roses Association itself, find out more about volunteer membership at tournamentofroses.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. Be sure you subscribe. It's free by clicking the link on our website. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. Our music is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.